Welcome to Inaudible. I'm your host, Jeremy Wyland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Masterson. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the long tradition of contact with the Confederation of Planets in service to the one infinite creator. These messages articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution, popularly known as the Law of One. Many of these messages are available to listen to on our sister podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. We seek to provide analysis and commentary on this philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. However, we are not counselors, gurus, or experts of any kind, so please evaluate our words in light of our shortcomings and use your own best judgment. And thanks for listening. Good morning, Ryan. How's it going? Good morning. It It's going very well. I actually got up at 4... Don't judge. 4.20 this morning. I woke mm. up... I woke up at 4 a.m. feeling so refreshed, <laughs> and I thought I could either go back to bed, and I know that when I wake up to uh, do this recording, I'm going to be sleepy, or I can just flow with my sleep cycle and get up. So I got up, made a little coffee, and I'm feeling unusually spry <laughs> for uh, 5 a.m. in the morning, so we're good. That's great. Um, good. I've been regularly waking up at 5 and not... I've been kind of coming to my own conclusion that's similar to yours that I can lay in bed for an hour. So I like to get up at six, but, um, look, if, if the body says get up at five, why, why fight it? You know, totally. Like, that gives me even more time in the morning, which I'm really, really happy about. Totally. I think my issue is that I never feel, uh, I never feel, uh, what's the word? Like the mornings are not my time to be creative, active, like I can't, I don't work out well in the morning. I'm, I'm best in the afternoon, but maybe that's because I just don't feel refreshed in the morning. So if I can get this feeling again, where I just wake up naturally, I'm going to roll with it, you know, cause I feel much better this morning than, than typically. So yeah, whatever it is, I'm, you know, maybe it's cause I went to bed early. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've been going to bed a lot earlier lately, and I expect to wake up and be and feel more fully rested than before. And I think the big thing for me is that I don't feel as well rested as I think I should. Mm. <laughs> so mm. I don't know how well rested I should feel. Like it is what it is. Sure. Um, so interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Fascinating. <laughs> well, <laughs> for. Um little inside baseball for all the listeners. We tried to do this recording last week, and per usual, we found more quirks in uh, <laughs> more quirks in our software or whatever. So uh, we're doing a do-over this week. I'm kind of grateful, to be honest. Sure. I mean, it sucks to lose, you know, an hour of our time in the morning, especially your morning. It's so much <laughs> earlier for you. But... uh but I get another chance to tie all the pieces together to weave something. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I lack focus. So this gives me another opportunity to achieve that focus. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I think both of us ended last week. We're like, well, that sucks, but phew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, de I definitely felt that way. I definitely felt like, man, I get another chance. Outstanding. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, what we're chatting about today is, I well, a few things, I suppose, like the usual, but the core is a session from February 7th, 1982, where Hatan, it's very brief, at least Hatan's portion, but it's about humility. And I recently did this or published this on the Living Love and Light production and uh, thought this would be an interesting subject. Again, it's very brief, but it says so much. It says so much. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a good one, but like I feel like it's an embarrassment of riches right now in 82. There is so much good stuff coming out from Hatan and Latwi especially. Um, and you're seeing this pattern emerge of how the LL circle relates to these entities where it's going to start being uh, more and more Jim taking the reins of answering questions Carla more and more taking the reins of the uh, monologue at the beginning mm. and uh, Latwi handling questions, Hatan doing the sermon. So mm. uh, it's, it's kind of cool to see like right where that inflection is occurring and they're starting to get a pattern. I, I, it's cool for me because um, I'm trying to find just a similar pattern in my own practice of channeling. We just had a session last night and uh because I don't do it on a weekly or daily basis like the LL group did, I feel like it is just taking so much longer to get patterns in place that allow for me to be creative on the things that the channel requires creativity for, right? That the flexibility to really go with any kind of impressions you get while not having to make it all up from scratch in terms of the pattern and the program involved. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I can see how, well, it's just true with anything, building a habit, building flow and a certain level of, you know, comfortable, being comfortable with something where that allows you that flexibility and creativity just takes reps. And there's a difference between doing something daily and doing it weekly or monthly, you know? Yeah. I, 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 in particular, I think it's the group energy that is kind of so it's such a different thing from when I practice every morning, you know, mm -hmm. suddenly I'm on the spot and you know, it, it takes a long time to get over yourself and uh, just relax with that. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, the, the upside of it is how much more invigorating contact is with others in the room. Mm -hmm. I can't uh, speak to experience. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> that, And, and it's not necessary because we're talking about, uh, the channeling that LL did, not the channeling that the working group does. This is true. So why don't we jump in? Uh, do we want to start at the beginning and read through this? Yeah. Well, let's, let's, um, <clears throat> nail down the, the fun parts. There's a few, uh, you know, there's a few parts in this channeling, um, that would be good to review. It starts, again, this is February 7th, 1982, and L is channeling Hatan. And after the intro, Hatan speaks, We of Hatan would like at this time to share with you a story, one in which a child is born, lives, and dies in the manner of your density, yet accomplishes a great deal more than is obvious to those who shared his presence. 
the child of whom we speak was in no way outstanding, either physically or mentally. The child was of inauspicious parentage, having been raised of poor parents in a small village. When the child reached maturity, he joined himself with a woman, for he sought the comfort that this type of companionship could provide. As things progress in your density, the child grew the child grew older, fathered children, grew older again, and eventually died. Now when I read this, I'm like, okay, Hatan, that interesting story cool story, bro. That's <laughs> that's what I thought. But then Hatan essentially takes the words out of my mouth with this with the next paragraph. Yeah. Not a very impressive tale of a life, you might assume. Yet the child accomplished in this brief lifespan that which he set out to do. The learning which the individual had prescribed for himself prior to this incarnation did occur. And although this individual did not attain great wisdom, did not even obtain the realization of choice between service to self or service to others, still the individual attained that which he set out to do. Thanks, Hatan. Of course, Hatan Hatan goes on. Uh, Essentially that, you know what? There's a lot of people in the world like this. Maybe... Maybe they don't have the realization of the choice. Maybe they have simple lives. But maybe that is their purpose. And this could be me projecting here, but, you know, it makes me think, who am I to judge that? Who are we to judge that? Well, what would be the reason for judging is kind of where I go. Like, I agree with Mm. you. Um, I don't think you or I or many of the seekers who subscribe to this philosophy are looking for a pat on the back from the universe or from each other in terms of our seeking. You know, by the time we take it seriously in our own lives, it's something we're doing for ourselves. But I think often, perhaps, there is confusion when we encounter other people uh, because we recognize that they are ourselves. They are other ourselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And yet... They seem to be on a completely different they, – they seem to be in a completely different place than we are. And they're, they don't prioritize what we prioritize. The more that we take it seriously, the more it calls into question that serious stance when we see others not take it seriously. You know, often uh, society is you know, practically created by our mutual reinforcement of values, our mutual recognition of norms of behavior and and what is polite and what is right and uh when a seeker uh starts their own path of seeking i know for me it was often the case that i had to regularly reckon with those ways in which other selves were not going to reflect my priorities back to myself In fact, they were going to reflect the exact opposite. And one way of looking at it is that, well, they didn't choose to go down this path. 
Um, mm-hmm. Another way of looking at it is that they're just they're on the path, but it's just uh, a different part of the path. I can't even say if it's before or after where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I really can't. Because there's really no way to, to spiritually judge another person, as the Confederation often reiterates. So what I do have to work with is to see what they are in the moment reflecting back to me. That doesn't require me to make a judgment of them or where they are in their path or anything like that. It simply is a way to see a reflection of myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read one of the paragraphs here. Um, Hatan continues, It is often difficult to extend your love to some who fall within this group, for their confusion seems to abrade their lack of awareness, makes them appear almost another species, a duller, dimmer species, somehow distantly related to your own. My friends, they are not merely your own species. These are your own selves. It is not our desire to to chastise, for judgment is not ours. Here, Hatan is leading by example. I like that. Yeah. Um, Rather, it is our desire to encourage that you may, in perceiving your other selves as such, find your hearts less reluctant to share your love with them. Loving is not always an easy task, and on some occasions is poorly rewarded. But my brothers, is reward what you seek? Therefore we would humbly implore that you extend yourselves that love which you extend to us. This idea of reward, is this why we love others? Mm -hmm. Or... (laughs) May I put this another way? Is this why some of us are so excited to share the law of one philosophy and the raw contact with other people? Because we we feel like, personally, I feel like I found this philosophy, this approach. It's been entirely helpful for me. And a younger version of me would just be itching to tell everybody about it. Yeah, it's because I want them to feel what I have felt, and I want them to improve how I feel I have improved. But that would really be for me. That would be stroking my own ego, you know me me feeling valuable because I'm able to help others with what I perceive to be helpful. And um, this whole theme, the theme of this whole session of being humble and having humility is just a good reminder that it's okay for me to, to not do that, (laughs) to just accept others and to just love them and not judge where they're at and trust that, like you say all the time, Jeremy, everyone is on the spiritual path. Everything is spiritual, whether you, you call it explicitly so. Um, everything is spiritual. So it's okay for me to take a step back and just accept people for who they are, where they're at, and just show them love. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of times, um, a lot of times when we encounter the other who doesn't seem 
to reflect the image we want to see of ourselves. Uh, that can be disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can also shake our faith in our path. Oh, that guy's not walking on the path. Does he know something I don't? You know, um, am I really a fool for taking all of this seriously? I mean, that's often what I think um, when I'm at my low moments. It's what am I doing all of this for? And that's a great question to pose to oneself. What are you doing all this for? It would be a great question for the other self to pose to him or herself. What is he or she doing all this for? What are any of us doing all of this for? Mm-hmm. This is the mystery of life, right? The What I am thinking about more and more in my meditations is the aspects of love that are creative in answering that question in a billion different ways, right? Um, it's tough because love is such an all-encompassing and vast creative and destructive force of the universe that mm-hmm. what it means in any given moment is, <laughs> is anybody's guess. Uh, and yet what it seems like we're working on in third density is a way of kind of, you know, hitting the bullseye blindfolded, (laughs) trying to figure out, um, a a level of channeling love that is so refined, that is so able to be balanced in spite of conditions of self and conditions of life that we can, be helpful in any situation. Hmm. I think that's a big part of uh, attaining the epitome of what wanderers can do on this plane is being able to be helpful and to trust that our helpful is helpful. Our helpfulness is helpful uh, in any situation. The reason I think that is because life throws such a variety of situations at us, and yet they tend. Those variety of situations tend to reflect a certain finite number of lessons that we're dealing with. Hmm. It, it, it implies to me that like the, the barriers that keep us back from fully expressing the creator in every moment are actually not that big, but it is the ability to practice this over and to drill it over and over and over again that we're working on here. Hmm. I can see that. Because it definitely feels like the same lessons keep coming back and forth. You know, every year I ask myself, why am I still dealing with this? <laughs> why yeah. does this keep happening? You know. I've been thinking the very same thing. And uh, I think it's particularly interesting that they pointed out uh, the encounter with the other self who is perhaps in the sinkhole of indifference between service to others and service to self, because that throws into stark relief our own choice to make a a, 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 a a plunge into a commitment that will require continual effort, continual exertion of ourselves. Uh, it would be much easier to just ramble through life like um, we used to do, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To not have that... Uh, sometimes crushing weight that comes with seeking. It is often a burden. There is no doubt about it. It doesn't, it isn't always a burden, but there are times when it would be easier to just shut down and go through life with, you know, a lot less uh, 
pressure. Well, we certainly don't need to put that pressure on ourselves. I mean, there's like, what is that pressure? How would you define that pressure? You know, is that, is that pressure to, how do I say this? It, what I'm thinking right now is that some people feel pressure to change the world while others just feel pressure to change themselves. And I think it's the disjointed nature of transformation, if I'm honest and can <laughs> see this idea through. It is the fact that we recognize a trajectory we are on, and yet we are not there. We are not at the destination yet. Mm. And so parts of us, the parts of us that recognize or start to see the, the, the destination coming into a very vague view it are pulling us more than the parts of us that are still trying to balance what that view would mean at that level that that part of us is working. It's, it's such a, it's such a clumsy thing to talk about, but I do think that like there are clues in the archetypal images about the disjointed nature of, uh, seeking Hmm. the way in which, uh, you know, parts of you move quicker than other parts and they need to wait up. Uh, I think maybe, maybe that is what other selves reflect back to us when they have not polarized perhaps as much as we are, have, is that there are still parts of us that have not polarized as much as we would like. Certainly, certainly. Hmm. I mean, that, the, the, the paragraph you skipped over is kind of interesting in this regard. Uh, Hatan says, there are many in your world today who are like this child. The lessons towards which you strive exist for them far in the future in their future. For as one must learn to walk before one may run, one must first learn to crawl. I think there are parts of ourselves that no matter how far along the path we are, are still crawling relative to other parts of ourselves. Mm -hmm. This is the conundrum we get into when we abide separation, when we are in an illusion where we, we, we uh, entertain the fiction of being separate from the creator. Well, Separation from the creator also implies separation within ourselves ad infinitum, right? There, there is, there is no, there's no end to that separation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the only way to uh, really reason about ultimate things, imperishable things is to reason from the point of unity of oneness, mm. because otherwise you will just be searching for a smaller and smaller particle to use the, uh, physics metaphor, right? There will always be a smaller particle to find. There will always be a part of yourself to recover and bring along um, until you recognize that you are already at oneness. And it is a matter of the way that you look at yourself and look at your experience that changes things. Yes. I like the the remainder of that paragraph that I skipped over. (laughs) We would suggest to you, therefore... To be generous in your hearts to your other selves, your other brothers and sisters of this world. For although they have not attained your awareness, although the revelations which you seek and hold so dear are not revealed to them, we urge you to realize that their lessons to them are equally important, that their learning is paid for with as many tears and as much pain as your own. And I think that last line is a fantastic lesson 
kind of doesn't matter where we are at. Our lessons are our own, and it's the same amount of pain. I know I brought this up in the last, the last, uh, the dry run of this uh, of this <laughs> session, but um, there's a guy I follow, a leadership coach and former Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink, who, uh, who, um, when he was active military, and he was you know trying to keep his guys alive, um, his. His high school daughter, or his, his young daughter, uh, was going through lessons of her own where her friend isn't talking to her. And and um, she's super stressed and it's, you know, she's having a hard time. And in his mind, he's thinking, honey, this is no big deal. Like, you're going to be fine. I am trying to keep these guys alive, you know, like talk about problems. But then even he comes to a realization that, well she's in a different place in her life than I am right now. And to her, this may be the biggest challenge she has ever faced. And, you know, he needs to be patient. He needs to understand that, you know, she's at a different place and he can respect that. For her, if this is the biggest thing she's dealt with, she needs help getting through it, no matter what it is, you know? So that applies for everybody. The lessons I'm teaching my four-year-old or the lessons he is learning are very different than the lessons I, as an almost 40-year-old, are are learning, you know? But that doesn't diminish the necessity or, or the power of those lessons, the, the challenge of those lessons that we're going through. Yeah, and when we measure our sorrows against others' uh, sorrows uh, by the ways they present in the illusion, we forget that what matters is this emotional experience, not the details that bring it about. Like what matters is the feeling of pain and suffering and the growth that comes from that, regardless of whether you as a particular individual uh, think it think it worthy or not. Um, this is something I've talked about before, but like that common experience of pain and suffering is 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 something that can be tapped into. You don't have to agree with the proximate reasons that brought that pain and suffering about. It's still pain and suffering. Like this is something I experience a lot of times uh when I make the grand mistake of going online and looking at like TikTok or YouTube or something <laughs> uh-huh. um and seeing for example uh like, you know, choosy beggars or something like some subreddit like that, where people are complaining about how bad they have it. And it, and it seems so superficial what they're, Mm -hmm. what they're upset about, but like nobody goes and shows their ass like that unless they really are suffering on some level. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, even if it is ridiculous, like, and I remember suffering in ways that in retrospect seem ridiculous and I am sure that some people look at the things that I deal with in my life and are like, what the hell are you complaining about? The issue is, is that the subjective experiences that we have within ourselves cannot often be translated exactly in their details to others. They are subjective. They are things that we have, they are corners we have painted ourselves into. No one else painted themselves into that corner. We painted ourselves into that corner. And often, this is what you were talking about uh, earlier, uh, we think that our way of getting out of that corner is the way everybody gets out of that corner. And that's just not the mm-hmm. case. Mm-hmm. Um, I am I am absolutely certain 
that there is a different path. If, if we are going to judge the path by the actual rocks and pebbles underneath our feet and the actual position on the map that that path takes, we are all on different paths. What makes it the same is that it has a progression to it and that mm-hmm. it has challenges. And what those challenges actually manifest in people's emotional lives is not for me to say, but it is so much more comforting if I can say, well, you should just, you should just read the law of one and then everything will work out for you. Like it worked out for me. Well, that's not at all. Uh, I mean, in some cases that's even kind of an unloving thing to do, right? Because you're expecting somebody to approach what matters to you on the same exact terms that you did. Yes. And that's just not where they're at. So you're not meeting somebody where you're at, where they're at, I should say. Um, this is something that Steve Tymon wrote about in his book, uh, A Fool's Phenomenology, Archetypes of Spiritual Evolution. Um, and and he's talking about ambition. And I think in some cases, when we try to help others, we can confuse ambition to realize another ourselves, right? To realize another self just like us Mm -hmm. with the desire to help that person as they are. Uh, And he writes, uh, uh, in one part, ambition is will to power and domination. In one part, idealism is blind urge to assert the template of my personal idiosyncratic significator upon the world. My personal way in which I have balanced the equation. Mm -hmm. I want to put that on the world and make the whole world reflect my personal story. Like that, that I find happens to me a lot. And it's honestly, at at the end of the day, it's a kind of laziness an inability to reckon with just how uh, much variety and nuance exists in the world, because I want to make it simple. I want to comfort myself that my path was the one that was right for me and by, by imposing that on others, I make it right for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's hard to... And, and, and I reinforce my own rightness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it shows how, how much I don't really believe what I say if I need to go out there and ask others to validate my path, right? I think that's a, uh, that's a hard-hitting point. If you believe it, if you really believe it, do you need that constant validation from others? You know, or are you looking for a constant confirmation that, oh, yes, okay, this is correct, you know, but then yeah. why are you looking to others to tell you what is correct? Well, maybe because you don't believe it or, <laughs> you know, so yeah, that's a fantastic point. Whereas when you know that you stand on solid ground, when you know that you're coming from a deep and authentic place in your own beingness, there's nothing but radiation. There's nothing but love. And you realize that the moment and the details of the moment that meet you are unique. And you have to go and find that part of yourself that, that is the, the common denominator with the other person, right? Mm-hmm. It can't be this like philosophy that you've erected on top of that common denominator. That's for you. That's your experience. That's how you balance. But to help somebody else, you have to get down to that common denominator. And uh, that is love at the end of the day, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. If it seems like it isn't love, well, that just calls into question our definition of love. 
which is something that the Confederation is always pushing back on us. To recognize that love is so much more than what we want it to be, what's useful for our subjective experience. It is something that actually created the heavens and earth and all the galaxies and destroys them and collapses them in the black holes. And all of that is available to us um, on some level. Mm -hmm. If we can meet people where they're at and we can show them love in spite of it being something that is uncomfortable for us or alien to us, something that doesn't even validate us, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then we have done, I believe, a genuine service. I know I've said this before, but I view the law of one as a very handy template a mental map to navigate the world. And as you've said, I know I've heard this before, but you reminded me of it, don't mistake the map for the terrain. And it can be very easy to have this mental map and then want to share it with everyone and, and, and tell everyone, hey, look, everyone, this is how the world is. <laughs> but that's not the case. This is just, this is just an approach. It's just a map. It's just a way to see the world. And this particular session is just a great reminder that, you know, everyone's in different places and um, respect that and love that. And you can, you, you, we can use the map, but what is the map for? It's, it's to help us progress in that hopefully more consistent expression of love to others the more consistent acceptance of others and where they're at. And, um, but that doesn't mean we have to hand out maps to everybody we see. Nope. (laughs) In fact, the best thing in many ways, the best thing to do, um, and how to do this is the whole challenge. But the best thing to do is to awaken them to, to what their own map would be to help Mm. them connect with their own source of love. We don't want, as, as, as service to others beings, we do not want others to follow us. We don't want them to depend on us. What we want is for them to find their own guide. And then they become creative, positive, contributing members to the emerging social memory complex. Um, there's a quote that talks about this um, from September 28th, 1986. It's very short. I'm just going to read this it. because it's so apt right now. I am Kuo, and my brother, we sympathize greatly with the desire of all such as yourself who seek with a full heart to inspire another to consciously set foot upon that path of seeking the nature of the life experience. And we would only suggest that though many inspiring words may be spoken and offered to such an entity with the hope that it will indeed open the eyes to new possibilities of spiritual sense, that each entity has its own pattern or rhythm of unfolding which given sustenance, nourishment, and support from those about it, shall take place in its own time. Who can say what is appropriate for another journey, another's journey of seeking? When so, such within your, when so much within your illusion is filled with mystery, and when that which is truly important upon the spiritual level moves in ways often unseen and does its work beyond any man's understanding, thus for one to truly be of aid to another, 
One can only desire to be of such aid and to reflect the love that one has found in as pure a fashion as possible, giving always with an open and cheerful heart without expectation of return, so that the greater will of the one creator, which has been planted as a seed within all entities, might in its own time be nourished and grow in a fashion which, while perhaps not understood by those about an entity, yet is appropriate to that entity. Mm. We don't need to understand another's path. It is not necessary for us to serve. It is only necessary for us to understand our own path and to use that as a means to shine our light and, 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 and offer what we have. Mm-hmm. Mm. They either want to find that within themselves or they don't. And that is, we know one thing. We can have one element of faith, which is that everybody will find it eventually. We are not necessarily the single, (laughs) it's not all on our shoulders to wake up every single person we run into. Uh, You know, the, uh, the master Jesus talked about, you know, casting your love like bread upon the water. You know, you don't know which pieces of bread are going to nourish the birds and which are just going to sink to the bottom and dissolve. It's not up to you to make things take root. It's up to you to plant the seed. And the more purely you can do that, the more you can offer an open-ended opportunity for loving another. That's, that's the great thing about service is that we think that we typically think of service as this way in which we give another person what they ask for. But honestly, a lot of what it's involved with is freeing another person. Mm-hmm. From any obligation to us, any sort of uh, need to meet us on our terms, but instead to meet our service on their own terms, which means they're allowed to reject it too. Yes. And that has to be okay with us in order for it to be a free gift and not something where we're trying to manipulate them uh, into something that validates us. Mm-hmm. There was a story I've read can't remember if this is in Dolores Cannon's books. I've read this in multiple places, however, and that's in the reincarnation cycle. There's a concept that your last life on earth, perhaps it's the last life in this density, is typically pretty boring. You're you're a mailman. You're a farmer. It's straightforward. You're not a, in a you're not a person in power, you know. You're not highly influential. You're not a, you know. You don't have three million followers on Instagram or TikTok. It's just a plain vanilla life. And reading that from, you know, multiple sources. Well, you know what? For, forget the fact of whether or not that, that that is factual. Just taking that and just believing it on blind faith. It's a handy reminder that when you come across someone who, from your perspective, may be a bit simple, maybe they're not complex, and where some people might look down on that, it can be a reminder for me that, oh, maybe this is a really advanced, this, is, this might be a really advanced soul. They're just living that last life, being happy, you know, loving others where they can, and then they're checking out to whatever's next. 
we don't see the process unfolding inside ourselves clearly. Why in the hell would we think that we could notice it within another in any way that is that we can stand upon? Hmm. Uh, this is this is uh, where humility really comes into play, and I think that's the uh, theme of this segment of Hatan is to that 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 love is humble. Love gives without expectation, and part of that giving without expectation is not pigeonholing someone, recognizing that they are a potential on feet, <laughs> that they are they are the entire one infinite creator, the entire one infinite creator before mm-hmm. you, and that they have just as much ability to to achieve enlightenment as you do. In fact, um, there's a there's a Buddhist tradition. Uh, I forget the name of it, but it it basically acts as if um, oneself and all others are already enlightened. And if you look mm-hmm. at it that way, then you are able to interpret a lot of things that normally cause suffering as much more balanced and much more uh, didactic and educational on one's path. Uh, we are acting out in our lives, perhaps, uh, those lessons that will get us to the next density. And it is only the, uh, the, 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 the dilation of time that separates a lesson now from a realization later. But it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's part of the same fabric. Mm-hmm. The idea that keeps popping in my head is just this notion of being rather than doing. And for so many, you just go on the uh, the Law of One Reddit, subreddit, and so many, so many seekers are out there looking to do, 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 to change, to, to, you know, to spread the word, to uh, <laughs> judge others who are supposedly on that service to self path. And I suppose it's all part of the journey, but I just keep thinking that it's okay to just be. It's okay to just yeah. be. We, we're gonna do. We're gonna do an episode specifically on uh, the service of being, as contrasted to the service of doing, um, because I think, especially as you get into late eighties, early nineties, Kuo, this becomes uh, this takes center stage. Hmm. Uh, there is one passage on that topic in particular that I just happened to have my uh, book open luck. to. <laughs> <laughs> it may not be appropriate, in which case I'll cut this all out. Uh, this is a quo from May 3rd, 1998. The eventual goal of those who wish to be and to move from that flowing beingness is to gradually replace expectation with curiosity. The ways of the mind and of expectations and so forth involve energies which seem to grasp and hold and stop the flow of rhythm and attempt to control that rhythm. Frequently, it seems that such manipulation works, and usually entities can convince themselves that they are in control. However, in the spiritual sense, the only control is in how to surrender the small will and the small self to an infinite one whose wish for all is to give and to receive love. Each time, then, that you find yourself having imaginary conversations, moving into circles of concern and worry, and in general finding oneself knocking up against the corners of life, 
Find ways to stop the momentum of that relationship with what is. Stop. And remember that you are a child of the Creator, a child of eternity, and a child of love itself. You need do nothing but welcome the rhythmic and rightful destiny that awaits. And we are not saying that there is one fate for each entity, for it is our understanding that each has free will and that each must, of her own free will, choose service to others or service to self. Rather, it is a question of whether you wish to go a straight route or a roundabout route. If there is control attempted in a working pattern, that will change the pattern. The more faith that one is able to express in the moment-to-moment rhythm, the more gently one may meet the unfolding of your particular story, Mm -hmm. and the shorter will be that moment of centering the self within that identity of being. That I love that last sentence because it reminds me when Ram Das notes in a in a talk he was giving that as he was going through his spiritual journey, he realized that the the more empty he became, the more loving he became, and the less he kept trying to actively help others and be others. And the more he just listened and tried to understand and tried to love, then the better he was at doing that. Yeah. When I'm honest with myself about why I try to strong arm service into a particular form in a particular situation, uh, what it really is is fear. That I am afraid that the pure love shining through me without any manipulation by myself is not enough. Mm-hmm. That the faith comes from recognizing that you don't have to figure it all out yourself. You can simply radiate and have uh, life be a creative act in which you dance with the creator and participate and cooperate with these energies. And then sometimes you are called upon to uh, provide an intellectual or something of the ego that contributes, but it is a it is a balance that you are learning to achieve, mm. how to balance this ego, how to balance this worldly personality with greater resources that are all part of a dance, all part of a coordinated self. And this coordination is not occurring by your conscious direction. The more that you use meditation and balancing to open up to the deeper parts of yourself and the deeper energies that are available to you, the more you can trust that you don't have to figure it all out in the moment, and you can flow with it as needed. And then whether or not you bring something that you personally have in mind to bear, or you bring in something that you couldn't even possibly imagine, you couldn't even possibly anticipate, that becomes just a matter of what the moment calls for. Mm. I can see it's tough. I can see how it is tough to uh, just let the love shine through. And call it at that, <laughs> you know, and not want to do more or not want to press more or, or be, be more, help more. Um, <laughs> but just have faith that, uh, speaking of faith, I just finished a, a long interview. It's on this YouTube channel called Soft White Underbelly. And if you haven't checked it out, check it out. There's some intense interviews on, uh, on this channel. This particular interview was with an ex porn star who, uh, I guess her name is Chrissy. I think her real name is Chrissy. And Chrissy's telling this 
terrible story of how she grew up and how she got into the industry and how she ended up getting out. And while she was in the industry, she found Christianity, or maybe she grew up with Christianity, but she was, she was developing her spirituality. And she tells this story where she was essentially looking for a way out, and she went to go meet her boyfriend, who was an actor at the time, and uh, her boyfriend had told all of the, uh, the, the other actors that he was dating a porn star. Well, she shows up to set, and uh, this one guy asks her what she does for a living, and, and she says that she was a model, and he keeps grilling her because he wants her to admit that you know she's in the porn industry, and she finally admits it. And by this time, this woman was like, God, I'm on empty. Give me a sign. That, just give me a sign because I'm this close to not believing in you anymore. And when she's on set, this guy, after he gets her to admit that she's a that she's a, a porn star, he asks her if she believes in God. And she goes, "Yes," maybe a little, you know, um, defensively. And he goes, "You know, there's a way out. Like if you ask, there's a way out." And she tells this story from this point on of how she just made the choice to stop. This was for God. This was for, you know, this was for her new path. And she committed like a hundred percent. She gave up all of her income. She was earning like 15 K a month or something like that. And, um, she just committed and she just had faith that people would show up to help her when it was needed, that this was the right decision. And if she only committed that her life would reorient around this new path, and the long story short, that's what it did. Um, but it was a fascinating story to hear, A, because this woman's just been through a terrible time. But then B, just to hear, just to get another validating story that when you, when you have a certain amount of faith that things will work out. Maybe that things are the way they're supposed to be. But if you, if you make the choice... Things will work out, but commit, you know, I think it was that what what struck me was the idea of just committing to the choice. I mean, this woman took a left turn and did not look back and she, you know what? She didn't have money for rent. Well, you know, people would show up and be like, Hey, I can see you're going through a hard time. Let me handle your rent this month. You know, she ran out of food and all of a sudden someone would show up and be like, you know, Oh, here, let me, you know, let me buy you some groceries. And, um, just a fascinating story. I'd recommend the channel for uh, to every. I'd recommend the channel if you're interested in 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 hearing human stories that are thick, that are, that can be pretty intense. Yeah, that's a great story, um, and it's always nice to see these extreme examples of faith because they show in they they they, they are they are big ways of showing that energy that a faith that's available to us and how much it takes a leap of faith to, to commit to a new direction, right? You have mm-hmm. to go, you have to, you have to take the step and then the ground comes in mm-hmm. under your feet, but mm-hmm. it isn't there at the beginning. And 
sometimes I think that uh, these 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 stories, because I love these stories too. I mean, they they are incredibly uh, inspir- inspirational to me. Um, sometimes it feels like, uh, well, let me just put it this way: um, the goal of a life is to find ways of applying faith that don't require so much. Yeah. <laughs> so much um uh uh storm and drong right like mm-hmm. all of this uh like like that is a that is a hugely uh uh nerve-wracking situation to be in and calls upon an immense amount of faith and there will be times i suppose in everybody's life where you will need to make a decision like that but to me i feel like the sometimes it's almost a little bit harder to work with to apply that same thinking on a daily basis to apply that same, I'm going to let the cards fall where they may, mm-hmm. in situations where the, the the consequences are not so dire. Because when the consequences are dire, it makes it a very, very stark choice. Mm-hmm. And whether you go one way or another, the choice is very, very clear and delineated. Um, it's bolded, you know, mm-hmm. and underlined and italicized. Making that choice on smaller, smaller levels on a daily basis, I feel like, is another challenge because it requires such a mindfulness. The great thing about being in a in a crushing situation like the subject of the story you told is that she cannot escape it. It is right in front of her face. It's impossible to be ignored. But we have moments in our lives, small moments, where it's very possible to ignore it. And to bring faith to bear on those moments, even when it isn't announcing itself and screaming at mm-hmm. us, that to me is is, is, is part of... It's a very, very subtle and uh, advanced walking of the path, in my opinion, because it is not requiring the, you know, there, there's something that the Confederation says, I, I don't remember which contact, but they say, you know, the, the reason why you notice catalysis in uh, negative experiences is because you don't seem to grow when we have positive experience. Mm-hmm. When you have positive experiences, you have the same catalytic potential, but you don't exercise it. So if you used the the, the, the the material of your life during the good times, the bad times wouldn't be so necessary. And I that's kind of how I see, see this, is that if we could just have the presence of mind to see every small challenge in our lives as just as pregnant with potential as that, you know, crushing decision that the subject of your story had to make. And we've all had experiences where we needed to, mm-hmm. where it was plain before our faces. Um, then it wouldn't be that we could avoid any future suffering. That's not what I'm saying, but that we could make more use of life and we could work on ourselves and so that in every situation we are prepared to serve. Mm-hmm. We are prepared to meet people where they're at. We've done the work ahead of time. Yes. It doesn't need to be this big um, transformational point where we can't deny it. We can just mm-hmm. go with the flow. Well, there's this idea that if you are a, if you're a drug addict or an alcoholic, you cannot change until you hit rock bottom. Like mm-hmm. everyone's got to find that rock bottom for them. And all rock bottom is, is when that choice becomes so obvious that you have to make this or you're going to die, you know, or you're, right. you're going to whatever. But it's that inevitable buildup of that 
of that choice. Well, at any point, we always have a choice, but the choices are smaller, you know? Um, so I really like the way you articulated that because I had never thought of that, where that is an extreme example of choice, but one where it's almost as if they're, you're, you are at a fork in the road, you know? And, um, mindfulness is opposed upon you, right? It's imposed. Yes. <laughs> a great way of putting that. Great way of putting that. So, uh, so it's, an, it's just interesting to think that each and every day and the lives that we live, there are small choices. And when we fail to, I would, I'm going to throw this out there. When we fail to make the quote unquote right choices or the choices that move us in the direction we want to go, that builds pressure. That small mm -hmm. choice that is it's suboptimal <laughs> stacks and they keep stacking and they keep stacking and the weight keeps getting heavier. And sooner or later, that choice will become more extreme, you know, mm -hmm. because maybe it's the emotional cost or whatever effect it's having on your life. It gets, just becomes more expensive and you got to pay that cost sooner or later of, of changing your choices, you know? Yep. And we also, I think sometimes I've thought this way that, um, when we see others who we think should change their path, we try, we can often out of frustration present them with what we think is an unavoidable imposition of mindfulness, uh, a challenge. You, you, you've got to answer yes or no to me. Mm. And that can feel like we're being honest with them. We're giving them a, a stark choice to make and it's time for them to make it. But is it really our place <laughs> to do that? Mm -hmm. I would argue no. And that reflects, again, more of our own insecurity with the choices we've made. It makes, you know, it, it reflects our own inability to balance things on our end and use our opportunities for transformation wisely. That we feel that the only way that we can serve is to throw somebody in the deep end of the pool by challenging them or calling them out or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's something I've learned a lot in my life, and I'm just coming around to how clumsy a, a, a form of service it is. I, I, don't, I don't deny that it partakes of a little bit of arrogance to think that you are the thing that needs to challenge another person to be better. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it often does come from a place of, there does need to, something does need to change. Mm -hmm. The question is, is, is it projection to think that it's the other that needs to change in a situation where I feel pressure, I feel discomfort? Mm -hmm. Yes. As, especially when you've put in the work for yourself and you have seen the progress. It's like going to the gym. And, you know, if you're working out for years, you see a change not just in your body, but in, in yourself as a person. And when you put in that amount of work and you see someone else struggling, it, it can be easy to say, I know what you need to do. You need to go work out. You need to go exercise. I mean, look what it did for me. And going back to the theme of this, having the humility and being humble enough to just recognize that everyone is on a different path. And what worked, what that what exercise might have done for me may not be the key to the other person's problems, you know? Um, 
But just be hum, hum, be humble about it. Just love. Hear them out. Be there for them. You know, it's okay to not not judge or try to impose, though it can it's be hard. It's okay to not even know how to respond. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, that is often what freaks me out is that I can open up to another person and show them love, but then what do I do next? Hmm. I find that it is often a self-imposed urgency that is born of a desire to be a certain kind of person to another self, the kind of person that I want to be and desperately need to see uh, the other person seeing. (laughs) Um, Sure. That's pretty funny. uh, It's, it's, You know, the funny thing about the magic of the present moment is that although it is where all choice occurs, where all like real transformation occurs, you know, if if it's not something you appreciate in this moment, there will be another. Mm -hmm. There is uh, there is a lot of time. Um, The more that we can become mindful and patient with ourselves and others, the more room we give people. You know, time, it's pretty clear um, that time, uh, as we experience it, is a matter of perception. And we rush ourselves and we give ourselves room and patience and and space to grow as we see fit. Um, This is largely what the the value of mindfulness and meditation is. Meditation is not about, as Pima Chodron says, becoming great meditators. It's about being able to bring that meditative state of mind into waking reality mm-hmm. more and more and more so that we see, so we give ourselves a chance to see potential and we give ourselves a chance for that love that's radiating out of us uh, to, to, to meet the other self, to meet the situation and to let it work. Things take time. That did this, this this process of seeking is just that. It is a process. You never capture it in one moment fully. Mm. And so the more that you can give yourself uh, room to grow, the more you'll see growth happen. Yeah. It's about the journey. Don't, mm-hmm. don't be so uh, anxious to get to the destination. Yeah. And uh, give other people room to for them to grow Mm -hmm. that is what is freeing about service when we free other people to be themselves and to show us a part of the creator that we could never have anticipated it seems alien now but it is ourselves Mm -hmm. and all we have to do is look more closely and with more love and let that person show us who they are really a lot of times we try to rush people on a path that we think is appropriate for them because it's appropriate for us, like I've said before. And, you know, part of the faith of service and freeing others and giving them space is the curiosity, like we talked about before, of seeing what they have to show us. Mm-hmm. You often can't recognize it right away. It takes time to sink into sink into your different levels of psyche and frankly, to sink into others' levels of psyche. Yeah. Like, this world is so hurried. Um, and it, it, you know, I, I struggle every morning with having a meditation 
and getting into work on time. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it, it is a challenge every morning to provide the resources for myself that don't come at my employer's expense. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, but that is a great way to ensure, I, you know, maybe I don't give it right, get it right every single time, but the, the continual attempt and the continual expression of care for my own path and my own seeking, um, that creates, uh, that creates a pattern that creates a momentum. And it's that momentum that as seekers, we, we are really um, trying to build so that we can make mistakes and not get completely sidetracked. You know, I, one aspect we haven't addressed about having humility and not judging others is not judging yourself and, right. and ha- being humble even with yourself and being understanding even of yourself. Yeah. yeah, once you once you take full stock of the situation and realize how little your conscious mind really controls in a final sense, that that I find uh and, and we entertain the illusion that we are directing things all the time. Mm-hmm. Um that that is a kind of lacking of mindfulness. Because it's not paying attention to anything that doesn't immediately uh, respond to our command, right? But if we can start to pay attention to all that is going on within ourselves and without ourselves, regardless of whether it uh, snaps to attention when we ask it to, mm-hmm. um, we start to realize that a cooperative approach to life, which sees the self as a kind of, um, I keep coming back to dance, but dance is what it feels like because it's always in motion. It's never something that you can put your finger on and say, that's the position you get into. Mm-hmm. Well, it's only a position in that moment. Then it changes, and then it changes again. And only a flow can, can, can meet that. Uh, only a flow of love mm-hmm. that is open-ended and uh, expressing uh, something that we ourselves can't, pigeonhole and put in a box and say, that's what it is. That's ideology. That's religion and dogma and all that. It has a place as an intellectual tool. And the seeker is challenged, I believe, through the material of life to open that box Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and to let it out and to see how it works when it isn't confined by this square shape, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my friend, I'm about out of ideas when it comes to this, to yeah, this subject. Yeah, we went to some other places in the last recording, but I almost feel that this is a little bit tighter of a package uh, to use that uh, metaphor again. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to leave it here. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thanks again for a great morning chat. Yeah. Well, thank you so much once again, listeners, for joining us. Um, if you have any thoughts, comments, questions... You know how to reach us. Inaudible.show is our website. We've got a contact form right on there. So just give us a ring. In the meantime, have a great week or two until we speak again. And stay in the love and light.